Well, let me begin today by just again welcoming you, and it's great for me to have the chance to be with you. Those of you who are here with us in Troy, my name is Joe, and if I don't know you, I have the honor of being a part of the, the pastoral team here at Faith, along with Pastor RJ and Pastor Tony. Um, it is a privilege to call this place our church home. And for those of you who are joining with us online today, and you are up north at your cottage, you're at the lake, some of you are driving across the state right now, keep your hands at 10 and 2. We are honored to be invited into your home and to spend some time with you this morning. Now, if you're watching on YouTube with us today, um, take a minute and please make sure that you like and subscribe to our channel. That really does help us as we continue to look for new ways to bring Jesus into every relationship. Today we are wrapping up a series uh, called Wisdom Says. And so for the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about this idea of what it is that, that wisdom would say to us in the midst of all the different decisions, all the different opportunities, the challenges, the situations that were presented us with. And I've tried to help you to create a new habit um, by simply saying that with every invitation, every decision, every opportunity, that you would just pause and I would just pause and we would ask ourselves the question, um, what is it that wisdom is saying to me right now in light of my past, right, in light of my present circumstance and in light of my future hopes? And dreams. Now, today, if you are joining us for the first time or the first time in a long time, you are coming into the very tail end of the movie. But again, the good news is that you can always find out what you've missed by going over to YouTube and searching Faith Troy. That's also a great way for you to share anything that you find helpful that you might like to give to a family, a friend, or a neighbor, or somebody else that you care about in your life. Now, today, as we start off, I want to, and as we wrap up, I want to just begin by sharing with you a very simple truth that um, all of us kind of know intuitively, but is always good to be reminded of, and that is that there is a world of difference, right? There is an absolute world of difference of, of changing your behavior because you fear getting in trouble, right, compared to being convinced that someone loves you so completely and so deeply Right, that you simply choose to follow them, not halfway or half-heartedly, but with all of your soul. So today, as we wrap up our series together and we talk about this idea of wisdom says, um, the, the, and we've talked about this over the last couple of weeks, when you ask yourself this question, when I ask myself this question, what is wisdom saying to me right now in light of my past, in light of my present circumstance, in light of my future hopes and dreams, this question actually has the power right, to reduce the number of tears that you cry. This will reduce the amount of stress in your life. This question will actually increase your financial margin, right? and this question will uh, improve the quality of your relationships. And we've talked about the fact that um, you don't have to be a church person, right? You don't have to be a church person to, to want any of these things or all of these things. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we've actually been called um, to live not simply at the level of, of what's the wise thing or what's the legal thing or what's the thing that I can get away with. As followers of Jesus, each of us have actually been called to live at the level of wisdom, because the Apostle Paul says to us in Ephesians chapter 5, he says this, he says, be very careful then how you live, right? Not as unwise, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil, right? So therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so today, as we wrap up our series together and as we spend some time together today, I want us to talk about this last one final idea that we find in this section of, of Scripture, this idea of understanding 
the Lord's will. Because this is a really significant and also a little bit of a complicated idea. And the reason this is so important is because if we just ask ourselves this question, what is wisdom saying to me right now? There, that question, it will lead us to the, the, the precipice of wisdom. But the goal is actually not to know, according to the Apostle Paul, the goal is not simply to know what the wise thing or the right thing to do is. The goal is actually to understand what the Lord's will is. Right? And so it should be no surprise to us that Solomon, right, who, who is the wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus, Solomon, who, who wrote three books of the Bible, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs that we've talked about, um, Solomon, who was a king, he was an engineer, he was an architect, he was a poet, he was a musician, he was a writer. Right? It should be no surprise that Solomon would tell us that in order for us to, to truly make wise decisions in life, there is a component that goes beyond simply knowing what the right thing or the wise thing to do is. And so today as we wrap up our series, Wisdom Says, we're going to talk about and hopefully put some handles on this great big idea of understanding the Lord's will. And then we're going to come back and we're going to apply this very practically to each of our lives with something that, Pro that, that Solomon writes in the book of Proverbs. Now, Part of what makes this whole discussion, whenever we talk about the idea of the Lord's will or God's will, part of what makes this a little bit hard to understand is that this phrase or this idea shows up all over the scriptures, shows up in the Old Testament, shows up in the New Testament, and it shows up in many different ways. But whenever it shows up, it always shows up in one of three contexts. And those contexts are very, very important for us to understand. The first is what we would call or, or say is God's providential will. And the providential will of God are all those things that God is going to do no matter what. Right? All through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, we discover promises that God says he's just going to do. You don't have to pray for God to do any of these things. You don't have to ask for God to do any of these things because these are all the kinds of things that God promises he's going to do no matter what. A great example of God's providential will is actually found in Galatians chapter 4, when the Apostle Paul tells us this. He says that when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might be adopted as his children. This is telling us that when God was ready, he was going to send Jesus into this world to be our Savior, that it was God's plan from the very beginning to send Jesus into this world to redeem us. It didn't matter whether or not anyone wanted God to do it. It didn't matter if anyone would believe that God did it. It didn't matter if anyone asked God to do it. This is just something that God was going to do no matter what. Because he loves us, his plan from the very beginning has always been to send Jesus into the world. To redeem us. Now, another part of God's providential will actually shows up in the very end of the Bible, in Revelations chapter 20, where we discover that one day every single one of us is going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for what it is that we've done in this life. Right? And that's not that's going to happen. Um, not because we ask for it to happen, um, not because we necessarily even want for that to happen. But that's going to happen because that is simply a part of God's providential will. And it says he's, this is going to happen no matter what. Right? It's part of God's providential will that one day Jesus is going to return. So all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, we discover a bunch of things that God promises he's going to do no matter what. They're not dependent on our obedience and they are not dependent on our faith. Now, 
whenever we talk about this part of God's will, it's really important for us to understand that even though these things do not hinge on our obedience, right? they, they don't hinge uh, on, on us doing anything, what we need to remember is that all through history, God actually chooses imperfect people like me and like you to accomplish his providential will, right? In other words, um, one day an angel shows up to Mary and says to Mary, uh, Mary, you're going to have a son, right? So, so God says, listen, I'm going to send my son Jesus into this world to redeem this world and nobody can stop me, but Mary, I'm choosing you personally. I'm choosing you to accomplish what it is that I'm going to do. One day God says to Abraham, Abraham, I want you to move to a nation that you don't know anything about, where you don't know any of the people. And, and, and Abraham, one day I'm going to use this nation to bless the whole world. And nobody can stop me from doing this, Abraham. But I'm choosing you individually. I'm choosing you specifically to accomplish this part of my will. God always accomplishes his providential will through regular, ordinary people, imperfect people like me and, and like you. As followers of Jesus, the more familiar we are with what it is that God is up to in our world now, and the more familiar we are with what it is that God has promised he's going to do one day, no matter what, the easier it is for us to be able to identify and understand this part of God's will. Right? This is one of the reasons why back in January, Autumn and I invited you to join us as we read through the Bible this year um, with the Bible recap. Right? And if you've kind of dropped off for a little while, if you've stopped doing it, this is a great time to, to join back up and re-pick uh, up wherever you left off and still make 2022 the year that you've read more of the Bible than ever before in your life. This is one of the reasons why I'm so excited that Eric is going to be leading our church through a study of the book of Proverbs, which is beginning this weekend. Because whenever we read the Bible, we have a better understanding of this part of God's will. Now, the second part of God's will is what we would call God's moral will. And the moral will of God are all those commands that God gives to all of us about how it is that we're actually supposed to treat other people. Right? These are all the thou shalls and the thou shalt nots that we find in Scripture. And again, these are the kind of things that you don't even have to pray about. Right? It's like, okay, God, sh should I steal? God, I'm just curious. Do you want me to steal in this situation? Should I steal? Is that right or is that wrong? Right? You don't even need to pray about that because God has told us all through the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God doesn't want us treating people unfairly. He doesn't want us treating people unkindly. He doesn't want us to be unforgiving. And he doesn't want us to be unloving. Right? God has already answered all of those questions because they're all a part of his moral will. And again, you've heard me say this before. The reason God gives us these kinds of commands is not to earn his love. He gives us these commands because we are loved by him. And as our Heavenly Father, he wants us to experience something in life that we normally, naturally would not experience on our own. A great example of God's moral will is actually a section of John chapter 13 that I bring us back to over and over again. It's when Jesus says this, a new command I give you, right? Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is a part of God's moral will for all of us who are followers of Jesus, Right? And again, the more familiar we are with the moral will of God, 
the easier it is for each of us to be able to discern and understand the third part of God's will, which is the part that each of us are always interested in. This is the part where we always ask the question, what is wisdom saying to me right now? And this is God's personal will, right? God, should I marry her or should I not? God, should I take this job or should I not? God, should I move across the country or should I not? God's personal will are all those decisions that you and I have to make all the time that oftentimes we end up worrying about. And again, the scripture is very clear. God is extremely interested in all of these decisions. Jesus' brother James actually tells us this. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it, meaning wisdom, wisdom will be given to you. Right? The prophet Micah, he speaks of the same thing, but he does it in the form of a question. And Micah says this, he says, um, what is the Lord? Right? And John says that, that God is love. So I always ask you, what does love require of you or of me? And then I let you fill in the blank, but Micah tells us to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. The personal will of God is that whole sense, okay, of God, um, should I date her or, or should I not? God, should we sell our house right now or, or, or should we not? God, should I go to this school or, or should I not? It's all of those types of decisions that you and I have to make every single day and where we want to know what is it that wisdom is saying to me right now. Now, here's why this whole idea of understanding the Lord's will is so important as we talk about this idea of hearing what wisdom is going to say to us. Because making wise decisions in life always requires submission to the author of life. And the more familiar you are with God's providential will, right, what it is that God's going to do anyway, and the more familiar we are and surrendered to God's moral will, those things that he calls all of us to do, the easier it is for each of us to actually understand and discover the personal will of God. This is why the Apostle Paul says this in the book of Romans. He tells us, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the renewing of your mind, this phrase actually means the renovating of your thinking. Right? So the Apostle Paul is telling us, um, listen, this whole idea of, of understanding the Lord's will, this is actually connected to, to our thinking being changed, that we're not going to be able to understand the Lord's will, or as Paul says, we're not going to be able to test and approve what the Lord's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, until the way that we think has been changed. And so the Apostle Paul very specifically, very intentionally links these two ideas together of understanding the Lord's will with, with the changing of our thoughts or the changing of our minds. And in this context, this word that he uses, understand, it actually means to submit to, to submit to the, the will of the one who's established all these laws and all these principles that govern every aspect of life, not out of fear, but out of love. The Apostle Paul um, would tell you, listen, your Heavenly Father wants you to know his will, not because he wants to control you. He gave you a free will. He's not trying to control you. He wants what's best for you, and he wants his best for you in every area of life. Now, 
How many of you um, have, have actually seen um, one of these before? I've shown you this. Um, I've shown you one of these before. Anybody know what this is? It's got kind of a, a weird sounding name. Um, this is actually called a plumb bob right here. This thing that hangs on the end. Um, anybody know what this white thing is called? It's called the string, right? It's not as interesting as the plumb bob. Now, the plumb bob is, in fact, an ancient tool. And even though it is an ancient tool, it is still in use in construction today. Anytime anything is being built, this is what determines what is true. Right? This is what determines how everything going on around it is going to interact, how they're all going to connect to each other. This is what determines what happens. This is used to determine um, how everything that is constructed is going to end up reacting or responding to the world that it's in. God's providential will and God's moral will set the plumb line for everything else in life that wisdom is ever going to say to you. This is what sets the standard, right? This is de what determines what is true. Again, not in order to try to control us, but simply our Heavenly Father says this is how life works, right? And because he loves you and because you are loved, he wants you to understand the rules and the principles of how life is going to happen and how you are going to experience it. So therefore, the more familiar we are with this, Right, the easier it is for us to understand and discern what it is that God wants you to do and what it is that God wants me to do. Whenever we face the unknown and whenever we find ourselves asking this question, what is wisdom saying to me right now? Now, the challenge with all this, and this is true of me, and so this might be true of you. Um, the truth is, if I'm honest, many times in life, the struggle for me is not actually knowing what is wisdom saying or what is God saying. The challenge for me is that I have this tendency, and again, perhaps you do as well, um, to, to say to my Heavenly Father, okay, um, Heavenly Father, listen, I, I want you to give me your wisdom, right, so that I can consider it, right? Because that way, God, I can take whatever it is that you would tell me to do, and, and I'm interested. I really am. I'm genuinely interested, in God, in what you would say if you were here with me right now, but I'm going to take what you would tell me to do, and I want to put it in this great big basket of all the other options, and that way I can consider it. But see, the truth is, our Heavenly Father does not give us his wisdom and his direction simply for consideration, right? That's why there's Google. Instead, our Heavenly Father, he always gives us his wisdom and his direction based on our relationship with him. This is why Solomon tells us the key to making wise decisions throughout the course of your life and for your entire life. Solomon says, listen, the key to that is actually to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now, for some of us, this is a very familiar scripture, right? For others of us, perhaps this is brand new. But for all of us, this is a scripture that is worth memorizing because right here, we bump into something that's contrary to what most of us have been told for our entire lives. Because most of us ha have been told that whenever someone asks or whenever we're trying to figure out what is wisdom saying, the question that we get asked is, okay, well, what is your heart telling you to do? Ha have you listened to your heart? What is your heart saying to you? And see, the truth is, it depends on what day you ask me, right? Because one day, my heart might say, well, he's the one or she's the one. But three years from now, my heart might say, well, no, she's not the one and he's not the one. And I think you should go and find another one, right? You don't trust your heart, right? We know this, right? You don't trust your heart. No, you trust the Lord with your heart. 
and lean not on your own understanding. Right, and the Hebrew phrase here, lean not, literally means to, to prop something up against. And so Solomon's saying, listen, your tendency in life, my tendency in life, in every situation we're in, our tendency is always going to, to be to prop up our decisions on what it is that we've seen and what it is that we've experienced in life. And he says, not only do you, do you not want to do that, he said, you don't, you don't ever want to think that you are smart enough or wise enough or careful enough to just do this on your own. You always, you want to lean your decisions, you want to prop those decisions again, not on what your heart is saying, but on you trusting the Lord with your heart. And he's not saying that you shouldn't be smarter this year than you were last year. He's not saying that you shouldn't um, grow from experiences in life. He's not saying any of that. And at the same time, he's also not telling you um, that life's never going to make sense or you can't ask God why. He's not saying any of those things. What Solomon is actually saying in this statement is, is a very difficult truth for all of us. Because Solomon is saying, listen, when it comes down to your thinking or my thinking... And God's opinion, he's saying God's opinion wins. Solomon's saying, listen, when it comes down to your thinking or my thinking about relationships, about life, about what I spend my time doing, what I invest myself into, he says when it comes down to your thinking and God's thinking and God's opinion, God's opinion wins. And see, the truth is, this takes a lot of trust to believe. And Solomon understands, right? Solomon understands that the key to wisdom, right, the key to wisdom, it, it, well, that until we're willing to embrace the simple truth that God actually knows what's best and that God's ways are best, until we're willing to run all the decisions that we have and that we face in life, right, through this grid uh, of saying, okay, um, you know, does this match up with God's providential will? Does it match God's moral will? And when there's a, conf a conf conflict there, that we're willing to actually submit our own ideas and not lean those, our ideas against our own understanding. Solomon says, until we get to that point, that we trust our Heavenly Father to that point, we will never be able to make wise decisions in life. Yes, I'm going to pay attention to my heart. Yes, I'm going to listen to my heart. Yes, I'm going to guard my heart. But I'm not going to trust my heart. I'm going to trust the Lord with my heart. I'm going to submit my wants and my ways and my wills and my desires. I'm going to submit all that to the Lord. I'm going to trust the Lord with my heart. And when that actually happens, Solomon would say, listen, that's when you are going to end up becoming more like Jesus and less like yourself. And then listen to what he says next. He tells us this, in all your ways, right, in all your ways, in all your marriage ways, in all your financial ways, in all your business ways, in all the ways you lead and manage people, in all the ways that you spend or invest your time, in all your ways, he says, acknowledge him. Now, this is a horrible translation of this word, even though this is probably very familiar to most of you. Because in English, the word acknowledge is so passive and it's, it's so weak, right? Because in English, acknowledge is like, okay, I acknowledge you, right? I acknowledge you, I hear what you're saying, I'm not going to do anything about what you're saying, but I acknowledge your presence, right? You're occupying space. But in Hebrew, right, in, in the Hebrew, this word is, it means to, to be fixed on. 
It means to be riveted to. It means to have all of your focus surrounding, to be, to be surrounded by or immersed by. In all of your ways, be fixed on him. In all of your ways, be submitted to him. In all of your ways, be riveted to him. Right? In other words, this is, this is how Solomon would say this gets played out. Heavenly Father, I know what other people have told me about parenting, but what do you have to say? Heavenly Father, I know how other people treat their spouse, but Heavenly Father, what do you have to say about how I treat my spouse? Heavenly Father, I, all my friends think we should just move in together, I get it, um, but, but Heavenly Father, what do you think about that? This is us saying to our Heavenly Father, as a follower of Jesus, Heavenly Father, I recognize that you actually have the right to rule and reign in my life. Even though nobody else in my life thinks that you should have anything to say about my life, Heavenly Father, I am submitting my life to you. And then look at the conclusion. He says this. In all your ways acknowledge him and he, your Heavenly Father, will make your paths straight. Right? In other words, he's saying he will make the direction that you are to go obvious. Because it is the surrender to the known will of God that always paves the way to understanding the personal will of God in our lives. It's surrender to what we do know that helps us to understand what we don't know. Okay, eyes up here for a second for everybody. Come on back, those of you who are on Amazon right now. Everybody listen up. Now, if you're listening to all this and you're thinking to yourself, okay, Joe, this is a great, you put me in the box, right? It's so type A, I love it, right? Just check, 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 check. But if your response to this is, um, okay, because you're a parent, right, and you think to yourself, well, here's my problem. If my kid came to me and said, you know, mom, dad, what do you think I should do in this situation? Mom, dad, what's your wisdom for me in this situation? As a parent, I would just tell them. Right? Like, why in the world does, does God make this whole idea of understanding the Lord's will? Why, why is this such a, like, needle in a haystack thing? And see, the truth is, that's actually a great question. But the reason God does this is because your Heavenly Father is much more interested in you actually discovering Him than He is in you discovering His wisdom for your life. See, ultimately, the thing for your Heavenly Father, it isn't the information, it's the relationship. And one of the things that all of us who have been followers of Jesus for any length of time know is that God has our undivided attention any time there is a significant decision in our lives that we have to make, right? I mean, when you have to know by Friday, right, when you have to know um, by next week or the opportunity is going to go away, nobody has to tell you, have you prayed about this? Because all you're doing is praying. It's in the process of actually trying to know our Heavenly Father's will that we end up getting to know Him. And see, ultimately, that's what our Heavenly Father is after. It's not your obedience that He wants. It's your heart. It's your trust. It's a relationship with you. Imagine in my marriage with Autumn... If the only time I ever talked to Autumn was when I wanted her to do something for me or answer a question, right? The truth is, she would not feel very connected to me in any way, right? And I would get everything I want, which is great, 
But if we're honest, I would never feel known by her. I, I would never feel cared about by her. And neither of us, don't miss this, neither of us would actually experience a relationship. We would be familiar with each other. We would not be connected to one another. Philip Yancey, in his classic book, described this whole dynamic this way. He said, listen, I do not get to know God and then do his will. I get to know him by actually doing his will. It is the process of learning, right? It is in the process of learning um, and discovering and becoming who our Heavenly Father has made each of us to be in, in Jesus that, um, that we actually get the chance to experience, right? To experience what it means to have a Heavenly Father who loves us and who cares for us. Because at the end of the process, this is not about something happening out there, right? It's not about a piece of information. It's about something changing in here. It's about a relationship. It's about understanding that our Heavenly Father really can be trusted with our biggest fears, our greatest hopes, our deepest disappointments, and our most significant needs. And see, here's the part that ultimately, and I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not, but ultimately every single one of us throughout the course of our lives, all of us, we're all going to end up following someone. Every single one of us, we're all going to end up becoming like someone. And, and see, the, as your pastor, the thing that I just hope that you never forget is that as a follower of Jesus, you have actually been invited to be a part of a grand and a glorious story, an amazing story, a story that began at the creation of the world and reached its high point when Jesus died for the sin of the world. And now he's actually invited you to follow him. Right? I mean, is there anybody else in your life who is inviting you into something of eternal significance? Right? Is there anybody else who's offering you eternal life? The, the Apostle Peter, when faced with this dilemma, right, and you've been there, it's when you want to throw your hands up because you're so heartbroken and you say, God, why bother? It's when you're facing a trial or a temptation that just seems overwhelming and you say, why bother? The Apostle Peter, he summed it all up and he said this, he said, to whom shall I go? To whom shall I go? If not Jesus, then who? If not following Jesus, then what? What are you going to do with your life if it's not this? What even compares if it's not this? If not Jesus, and who? As we wrap up this morning, one for our last time together, I have three more questions that I'd love for you to discuss over lunch, uh, maybe reflect on uh, as a part of a small group or with your family. These questions are on your outline. Um, if you're watching online right now, you can see them on the screen. You can take a picture if you didn't grab the outline. The questions are simply this. Think about an important teacher or mentor in your life. What qualities did that person possess that made him or her a positive influence on you? Why is it so much easier to lean on our own understanding rather than trust in God? And then finally, 
in what area of your life right now do you feel like Jesus is asking you to follow him? And how could this group, whatever group that you're having this discussion with, how could that group actually support you in that? I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to close our time together with worship. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that for all of us, Father, as we think about these words, as we think about what we've talked about together over the last several weeks, Father, of course, I want all of us to believe that these words are true, of course. But Father, more important than that, I simply ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give everyone listening right now, everyone watching right now, that you would actually give them the faith to believe that we really can trust you with our hearts, that we really can trust you with our hopes, with our hurts. Father, that we can even trust you with our regrets. And more than your wisdom, more than your understanding. Heavenly Father, we just want you. We want your presence. We want your peace. And we want the hope and the joy that comes from knowing that the one that we're listening to and the one that we're following, Jesus, it's you. It's you, that you are the one. You are the only one that we can trust with all of our heart and all of our soul. Because Jesus, you alone are the only one who is faithful and the only one who promises to love us no matter what. Jesus, we pray all of this in your name.